Whistleblowing was apolitical and in the spirit of upholding my oath. Nonetheless, the FBI cynically elected to close ranks and attack the messenger. The FBI will crush you. This government will crush you and your family if you try to expose the truth about things that they are doing that are wrong. We are all examples of that. Joining us now are Steve Friend and Garrett O'Boyle. Thanks for joining us, fellas. FBI whistleblowers Steve Friend and Garrett O'Boyle both join us now. Gentlemen, so glad to have you on the program. Thank you for your testimony. We need more folks like you, and I'm sure more people are going to be from your background are going to be giving you guys more intel as you're sharing that with the rest of us. We can kind of see that this is becoming normal for them to be held accountable because I think especially an institution that we pay their salaries, they need to be held accountable. I think a lot of people do share our, our beliefs and convictions. I think they just aren't at the point that Steve and I and others have gotten to. They're too afraid. are in short supply. Reject the noise, ask bold questions, and pursue the truth. With FBI whistleblowers and founding suspendables, Garrett O'Boyle and Steve Friend. This is the American Radicals Podcast. This is the American Radicals Podcast. Back better than ever. Um, I'm just, I don't know which way is up folks, which way is down. I've been on the road for a week, which is why I played the Kyle Serafin show opening by accident to start with, but, uh, we got it back. We're back on track. I know who I'm talking to. It's not my friend, Kyle Serafin, who I missed with yesterday on Friday. It was my fill in and my replacement for friendly Friday. And that's my good friend, GOB actual Garrett O'Boyle on the American radicals podcast. My fellow co-host, how are you doing today, Garrett? I'm doing good, Steve. Welcome back to Florida. I, I wish I had some of your warmth here. As you can see, I'm bundled up already. But uh, I took the uh, playing of Kyle's intro as just a, a, a tip of the hat to the gatekeeper because he's helping us get on the straight and narrow with this podcasting. And uh, hello to everybody in the live chat. We see you. Some familiar, some familiar names down there. Appreciate you guys joining us uh, for our first live edition this Saturday morning. Yeah, man, we jumped right in. We're like, we're without a net. Episode three, we got that on Kyle. I think he was he was recording shows for a while. Um, yeah. But uh, we're we're like this. Throw caution to the wind. We can do it. We're experienced uh, investigators. We're ex now experienced podcasters. Let's do this thing. Uh, I think it's a little bit more fun. You definitely get the uh, the emotions wash over you when it's like three, two, one, go, <laughs> and the clamor goes red. You can't feel your legs for a split second. But once you take that first step out into the abyss, I don't know what. You know, you just kind of feel nice. And it's good to have the people in the chat that are with us now. And they know that we can actually respond to them live uh, as opposed to just having a pre-recorded and then having the conversation. So I think it'll be it'll be better for all of us. And we'll learn. We'll learn as we go. Uh, you know, it's, it's always a bit different captaining the ship rather than just being a passenger. So hopefully we're going to navigate and circumvent all the uh, icebergs that might be out in the North Atlantic. That is the American Radical Podcast. Yeah, but I'm excited to be here. Me too. Hopefully, uh, I don't. Uh, if I ever get command of the ship, hopefully, I don't take us into like a a sandbar and and get us moored. <laughs> oh. all right. So we titled this show after action review, which I'm you had military, you had FBI, law enforcement, SWAT. Can you just give everybody an idea of what is an after action, and that way we can adapt off that idea and what we want to do with it for the program today? For sure, after action review is 
whenever you're done with some type of military operation or law enforcement operation, one that's typically more planned, you know, wouldn't be like something you do just like on a traffic stop necessarily. But uh, if you, you know, have a SWAT op or for my army days, you know, you go, you have like a specific objective for a, a, a patrol or a mission that you're on when, when you're done, you all get together and, you know, another term for it is a hot wash or after action report. And basically the leadership of the unit uh, gets together and says, Hey, here's what we have done, what we've accomplished, what we've tried to accomplish, what went well, what, what went bad. And um, it's the goal of it is to improve and, and increase your capabilities moving forward. And we certainly have uh, quite the after action report ahead of us to, to encapsulate the last year or so. We do, man. And I, I, I was just trying to inventory it all uh, about a month ago and, and it was just a lengthy list. And this past week, so folks know, I went out to Arizona, did some speaking engagements there, did seven different speaking engagements and did a radio hit. I had some private meetings with other folks all over the state, was in Tucson, Green Valley, Prescott, Phoenix, Sun City. I mean, just one after another. It was it was awesome. It was getting, getting a chance to be out uh, and, and meet people who had seen you, seen me, seen Kyle, seen us on TV, seen you and I testify in front of Congress about six months ago. And the the speech and the, the talk that I prepared, I sort of let in with it, uh, with this idea of how that experience could have gone better for our, what our goal was to achieve our goal. And our goal there was to share the information that we had brought to Congress that you and I had both testified under oath during what's called a transcribed interview, which is a deposition, it's behind closed doors. We'd already given all that information to Congress. They had it in hand. There was nothing that we were gonna do there. We were not gonna drop a bombshell on them and that they would have been surprised, it would have been shocking. It was intended to be a presentation for the American people. Unfortunately, what winds up happening with these is they they sort of go back and forth. Uh, the Democrats, Republicans, they argue, they try to get on TV, they try to get their monologue, they use their time, and what's lost in the shuffle is the fact that the witnesses are there and they're prepared. And it was the case with you and with me and with subsequently the IRS guys. It was really a lost opportunity, I argue, because you and me and those IRS guys, we've testified under oath before. So whereas most people might be really intimidated by it, might be, I don't know, just too much to handle, they would have been a little more nervous than you or me. And, and we've answered questions under cross-examination from a defense attorney. It's not pleasant, but we are obviously not going to be, I think they were afraid we were going to stand up and flip the table over because we'd be offended. Uh, but, you know, that's water off a duck's back. If you're a cop on the stand, you you take the the hits and, and you just keep on moving. So as a result of that, we sat there for about eight hours and didn't get a chance to share things, which is why I think it would be beneficial if we pretend that maybe you and I are back at the table and, and Dan Goldman and Stacey Plaskett and Debbie Wasserman Schultz uh, have to be quiet and leave the room like they did for most of the time. And we can present the information that you and, and me and Kyle and all the suspendables have thrown out there for the last year. Yeah. I mean, it's a great idea. It's a, it's a good jumping off point in a lot of ways for, for our little endeavor here with the AMRAD pod. Um, but, but yeah, like you said, you know, heading into those depositions that we did um, it's, it's bizarre to me, like when I think about it, that they, they thought like they knew what they were getting because we, we sat for hours and actually did get to speak during those depositions. So for them to 
think we're going to somehow screw up on on game day so to speak uh, when we actually testified or or like what lose our nerve or flip a table or who knows what uh, whatever other cockamamie ideas they had that they thought we might might do or not do it's like no we we all along we have said we don't want to do this type of thing i never wanted to be public i think i can say that for all of the suspendables um and then it's one of those things you get to a point where you must, you have to do it because um, there, there's really no other option because like we've talked about many times at this point, And like I testified to, I didn't swear an oath to the constitution. You didn't either. I mean, to, to the FBI, we swore our oath to the constitution and we meant it. And so if that means, Oh, now we're a public face and we get hit pieces in the media. Well, so be it because if not me, then who, you know, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think that uh, we we were there with the best of intentions. It was really frustrating, uh, which is why we've just continued to be the, the town criers. So I, I, I'm i a big fan. Uh, whenever you are, you know, you're, you're captaining the ship, you know, you, you got to make the decision. Do you want to give people the really heavy stuff first uh, or do you want to bring them in? Let's have some dessert first here. Let's let's bring in some of the things that might uh, make people chuckle or they're just you have to laugh so you don't cry about the things that we've been able to expose actually subsequent to being on the outside of the FBI. And we're, we've been able to do that because there are still people on the inside who give us information. And, uh, and we know now people in the media who are in a position to let us share it with them. So the first thing that I want to touch on is the director of the FBI, Christopher Ray, and his... I don't know, his his love for that FBI jet, which was reported on uh, several months ago in Daily Wire. I know Kyle wrote a piece for for uh, for Dan Bongino's website. And so folks understand this is all public information. If you look at the, the, the tail numbers of the FBI jet, it is housed at Manassas, Virginia. But Christopher Ray every Friday, makes that jet fly from Manassas to Reagan, which is a very short flight, somewhere between 12 and 15 minutes to pick him up because he doesn't want to drive all the way to Manassas. And then he flies from Reagan to Atlanta, where his home is, spends a weekend there. Meanwhile, the jet has to be ready to go because you never know, it could be an emergency. So the jet flies back to Manassas for a couple of days. Then on Sunday, flies back to Atlanta to pick up Christopher Ray and then drops him back off at Reagan so he doesn't have to sit again in about 30 40 minutes of extra traffic and he's not he's not driving i mean he's obviously being driven by his protective detail which as you just told me before we went live you know some people on that detail and and then finally the jet takes that little puddle jump back to Manassas to to conclude this this 3 4 day venture that it does um, somewhere in the cost i think Kyle estimated between 30 40,000 dollars when you factor in all the fuel and the wear and tear on the jet and the pilots and Christopher Ray because he uh, is a senior executive service member uh, of the of the government for that travel he's entitled to use the jet um, he claims that it is required of him even though he can actually set the rules but he is only financially responsible for paying the the cheapest flight he can find and it's surrounding airports so he could go to baltimore or he could go to dulles or he could go to reagan he could find whatever is the cheapest fare for him to make the round trip to atlanta and back and just uh, assign one of his little underlings to look at southwest and and whatever the, the freight is on that 200 bucks that's all he's responsible for right and th when you were on on swat in omaha did you ever 
uh, assist with the protective detail if he came into town or anything like that? We did. We did because uh, in Omaha, that's where they house the nuclear silos. So we had to uh, pick, take him through Offit and then escort him to the field office. And it was like calling ahead to synchronize so that the gates were open so there was not a delay. Like there was going to be a legitimate threat to this guy. And then even within the field office, he had his body man on him and he's in mm -hmm. a secure FBI environment where the only people there are theoretically armed FBI agents and other employees who were vetted, did a background check, but still he has a protective detail that has to facilitate his maneuvering around the building up and in, in including waiting at the, uh, the freight elevator. So they didn't make him take the main elevator because that was too much of a threat. He had to use the freight elevator and it was my job to stand there with my finger on the button to make sure the door was open and didn't close. And we didn't lose the elevator in a three floor building. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just think, just think of that. So I assisted one time he came to Kansas city, uh, and it, whatever he was doing, it was, it was more, more out in Topeka and, um, and the, he had his detail and then we had a, most of the SWAT team assisting. And then he also had, uh, I kid you not the motorcycle unit from Topeka PD as like part of his motorcade. And they were driving ahead and stopping traffic and, you know, taking him all through the town. And they ended up going to a, uh, Kansas, um, Jayhawks basketball game. And the, they like brought him in through the back and took him out on, you know, like it, into the tunnel. And he got to watch like the end of the game or something like that. And it's like the plane, the motorcade, the body man, Steve friend with his finger on the button of the elevator. Like it certainly seems that Christopher Ray enjoys being treated like a prince. And what I, what, what really irks me is then when he goes to testify about this, he has the nerve to get angry himself and say, I am required. Not only am I permitted, I am required to fly on that plane. Okay. Um, fraud, fraud, waste, and abuse right there. I mean, straight out of the gates. That's what the FBI plane is. And I will also caveat it with this. If the FBI has planes in its fleet, that are used for missions and mission critical, you know, pieces of transportation. I'm actually okay with that for certain circumstances. And if the FBI director needs to hop on a plane because something, some terrorist attack happened or, you know, an FBI agent gets shot and killed or whatever, something like that, where like the director should quick, fast and in a hurry, get to where he needs to go. I'm okay with that. But like you just went through the flight patterns, the destinations and basically just milking the taxpayer. I mean, the, the, the costs of this are astronomical and people will say, yeah, well, it's just a drop in the bucket in the grand scheme of things. Yes. But when you start taking all of government and combining it this way, that's how you end up $35 trillion in debt. You know, that's one of the ways it's just the, the government, they spend worse than drunken sailors and Chris Ray is no exception to that. And, like you mentioned too, his, his underling that is booking the flight for him. The um, we, we'd call them uh, uh, strap hangers in the military, the strap hangers that surround him on his, maybe not necessarily on his detail, but I'm sure in some fashion, some of those guys are, but like all the busy, the busy bodies around him with their laptops and, you know, ushering to and fro and all of that. It's like, it's, 
I get that he's the director of the FBI, but is this all necessary? And how much of it are you just doing to self-promote yourself to get a step ahead in the organization? I think that's ultimately what it is. I mean, every instructor or anybody who I'd ever encountered who was in the executive level, especially the closer geographically you got to the DC area, they would always talk about their time on either the director's detail or the attorney general's detail. So I guess being in the vicinity of power is definitely some rocket fuel for your own career. And, uh, and, and that shouldn't be the way it is, when, especially when you get to a, be a instructor at Quantico, because you sat on the director's detail that qualifies you to teach the next generation of agents. I had to scratch my head. So it's definitely some self-promotion. Speaking of self-promotion though, I see that you got your heavy sweatshirt on. You're ready. I, I mean, you were saying that that might actually, in fact, be your uh, your winter coat this year. In yeah, I, can you I, tell yeah. us what you got going on uh, over at uh, the 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 Garrett O'Boyle Family Sweatshop? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, man, you the people, the the supporters of the Suspendables are keeping us busy over here. I seriously can't keep up. I should have mentioned it on Kyle's show yesterday. If you if you are interested in some Suspendables merch and you want to get it in time for Christmas, you probably ought to think about placing an order sooner rather than later because I, I really am and we are struggling to to fulfill everything. I was working on it all day yesterday. Yesterday was a big day and um, I, I haven't caught up still. So uh, we appreciate it though. Uh, out of all of the problems we've had in the last year, this is this is the best quote unquote problem to have where we're behind on fulfilling orders. So, but yeah, we got hoodies up there now. Um, I've mentioned it before. Um, the hoodies, they take up a ton of space. So once this run of hoodies is gone, probably not going to bring them back for a while until we can figure out a different type of arrangement. So if you, if you need a specific size, you might want to check. Um, but yeah, this, this thick one I'm wearing, I've been wearing it a lot lately and it's not even super cold yet, but uh, the other day it, it was a little bit um, chillier and it was windy and I had my hood up and the wind wasn't getting through. It's it's I, I really been enjoying it. And I saw my wife pop into the chat, Mrs. G.O.B. So uh, people are are chatting with her and, and welcoming her. And um, to bring it back to Christopher Ray, she mentioned how um, how it really irked her when he laughed about uh, how his wife would respond if he stopped receiving a paycheck and you know that really irked me too <laughs> yeah i think that that was something that definitely spoke to me when he just unironically just chuckled about it and yep. he couldn't fathom that in his head oh i would be in really big trouble mm -hmm. and we can stay on him we, we definitely need to because in his testimony it was not limited just to that jet where he tried to escape the questioning from howley and from grassley at that senatorial hearing He's lied openly in right. front of the House Judiciary Committee, which I guess in theory the Republicans are in charge of, and you would think maybe could there could be some consequences from that. But in my talk, I was highlighting the fact that Chris Frey lied in front of Judiciary Committee when he told them that no agents were removed from child pornography cases to investigate January 6th. That happened to me. He lied when he said that no agents did surveillance of school board meetings, which happened to me it happened in florida and it was definitely an effort to combine the january 6th narrative of white supremacy and domestic violent extremism with parents at school board meetings that threat that had that threat tag they hashtag edu officials that was going on when all the parents were finding out about critical race theory and 
diversity, equity, inclusion, and whatever the, the nonsense communist Marxist messaging that was going on within the schools. And they were unhappy about it. And they were discovering it during the lockdowns and going and being very vocal at their school board meetings, as is their right to do as an American citizen. And the FBI was doing the bidding of the attorney general, who was doing the bidding of the national school board lobby group. I think it was a school board relations or, or something like that, that contacted Merrick Garland. And then he mobilized the teeth on the attack dog to go after parents, which I think you brought to Congress in is part of your your disclosures. Right. Yeah, this is it's a it's another great example of of Christopher Ray and really the the from the from the top all the way down the the level of corruption that we're seeing the the EDU officials threat tag that is one that we all touch on you me and Kyle you know um and it's interesting again it's to me of course it's one of those divine parts of this path that we're on of course we're going to have a little bit of crossover in some of these because um of the way the beast works and you had these specific instances where you are going and doing this type of surveillance. You have Merrick Garland, who still refuses to um, rescind that memo that he did at the behest of that that um, teachers union uh, lobbyist group or whatever it was. And then you have Christopher Ray, who always, like you said, he sits up there and lies and says we are not doing that. I mean, these people literally just say the opposite of what they're doing, and they they they're they're lying through their teeth because it's you had this specific example of doing the surveillance there are other agents who've had this same type of experience you would imagine christopher ray would know that but it's just like with the plane when before the 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 story about the plane broke when he was testifying he said that oh you know i we we agreed on a certain time i got a plane to catch and then they end up wrapping up the the hearing and we find out later at the next hearing that oh did you really have a plane to catch because you got a private plane and you were going to go on vacation so and then he's has the gall again to be indignant himself in front of these elected officials and it's like yeah this is this is part of the point of what we all have been trying to say is the fbi is infected with um this this insidious pride and it's it's from it's from the top down really and that's why they think they can sit up there and lie and honestly they can because they're at a point of of strength and control and power where who's really going to do anything about it you know other than people like us on our little podcast raising the alarm so hopefully people will just become more aware of 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 the little bit of nuances on how it's like yeah this is actually perjury you are actually lying what are you going to do about it you know, you, you just said that, and I had this image pop in my head. This, this, this parenthetical. My best friend in college was a football player, very big dude, real strong, just like you. I'll tell you about him sometime. Uh, and I remember going to an off-campus party with him one time. I was always the the designated driver for those guys uh, because I'm a square and I didn't drink. <laughs> uh, hey, look, I'm comfortable in my own skin. I eat one almond a week. I run really far distances, and I don't drink. So. Sorry, not sorry, but I remember he he came to me and just gentle giant guy, but obviously the peak physical health of his entire, he would say his whole life at that point. He'd been a college football player for a number of years, was hitting PRs in the gym and, and whatnot, and he went to the keg and the keg was empty. It was just foam, right? 
and he turned around. He just shrugged his shoulders to the guy in line with him. He goes, yeah, what are you going to do about it? And, and walked away. And he came up and he was telling me the story. He said, I said, what are you going to do about it? And the, the guy got ashen faced and turned around and then just jetted away. And I looked at him. I was like, because you said, what are you going to do about it? And he looked at this big hulking human and said, what are you going to do? About it? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and I mean, that's the perception of power that 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 he had, obviously, as a real physical guy. But I think that's obviously what the FBI feels like at this point, which is why Christopher Ray can we can stay on him. Look, he he lied when he talked about this radical traditional Catholic memo that came out and, oh, uh, this was disgusting and we got rid of it right away and it was limited to the Richmond field office. Well, as has been exposed, it was not limited to the Richmond field office, which you would have to think that he, if he was well briefed on that and was going right. about pulling it, that, that report, then he would have known that there was contributions from multiple field offices, including Los Angeles and Portland. And, and that's what we know of so far and so just to after action on what is the radical traditional catholic memo that went out this was a document that was drafted by an intelligence analyst in the richmond field office and it was part of a report slash looking for opportunities to recruit informants within the catholic parishes in that area and according to this intelligence analyst this report was sourced by Salon.com and the Atlantic and the Southern Poverty Law Center. So really one side of the political spectrum. And it identified people who had a preference for the Latin mass as being potential anti-government extremists because they held certain beliefs that this analyst felt were problematic. And what are those problematic beliefs? You are pro-life, you're pro-traditional marriage, you're pro-border sovereignty, you're pro-Second Amendment. And... As a result of that, this analyst contended that they could infiltrate the Catholic parishes, recruit informants to then give them information about people who might become radical within the, the Catholic parishes. So obviously it's, it's a prerequisite to start going into churches, which is people engaging in First Amendment protected religious activity. Uh, but obviously the FBI's caveats about not investigating First Amendment protected activity are complete hogwash. And Christopher Ray, when questioned about it, sort of was very dismissive and represented that he found it deplorable. But we know that that is in fact not true uh, because it was just, the, the, there was no corrective action on this. This is a person that should have been identified and removed. And as far as I know, it, it wasn't. Exactly. And I think, again, this points to this, this insidious problem at, at the FBI as a whole, they, I'll go, I'll go back to Ray for a sec, because if he wasn't getting properly briefed, the people around him need to be gone because he needs to be getting properly briefed on these things. If he was getting properly briefed, then he lied for certain. We know that that would be a certainty then because the way things work in the FBI and in, an intelligence product like this, this radical traditional Catholic thing, there's so many different tracking mechanisms just in the FBI software that you can see where it went, who saw it, what field offices were involved, what Intel analysts at those field offices were involved. And, you know, whether it was emails or, you know, any number of things to, to connect the dots to say, okay, is this really just a Richmond centric thing? And of course we know it's not. And of course, we know the FBI is going to say, oh, that 
that is really bad. And that was just a, you know, a solitary incident just in Richmond. Well, of course, fast forward a few months later, we found out that wasn't the case. And again, what are you going to do about it? Because nothing truly is happening other than more and more people are starting to scratch their head and say, maybe the FBI really aren't the good guys that we thought they were because it wasn't just, you know, this solitary thing in Richmond. And even if it was, even if it was, it was the analyst, the analyst supervisor, the CDC, which is chief division counsel. So a lawyer, they all approved this thing and they said, yeah, good to go. So what does that tell you about the, the broader uh, creep of the problems in the FBI? It tells you that they certainly are weaponized against the beliefs and traditions and opinions that they don't like. And they're going to try to make, turn that into illegal activity. And that, I mean, that that's really frightening. It should be frightening to anybody of any faith, not just Catholics or Christians. I mean, Muslims in this country, they know it firsthand because they were getting it from, you know, 2001 and on. And it's, it, it's a it's a dangerous place to be if you have people in an institution who cannot set aside their own um, predispositions on doing law enforcement type of work and or intelligence type of work and you know I think of that like when I was a DT agent one of the top one of the areas I covered was was abortion related extremism and that includes pro life extremism and you know pro choice extremism and we had an abortion clinic in Wichita that. I was like the point of contact for, and my personal beliefs, I think everybody knows this very well. I think abortion is wrong. I'm an, I'm a, I'm an abolitionist when it comes to abortion. Uh, does that mean when there's a problem at the clinic because one of the pro-life uh, protesters maybe did cross the line or, so, or maybe they did push the security guard or whatever might, might've happened. Does that mean I don't do my best due diligence to, find out if a federal crime happened or at, at, at a minimum say, Hey, this probably isn't federal, but you know, you have the points of contact at the Wichita police department and this might fit one of their uh, statute statutes better, like disorderly conduct or, or whatever the case may have been. And it seems to be that a lot of people in the FBI aren't able to, to walk that line, which is imperative in law enforcement, I think. You do have to walk this line. And um, and folks, do me a favor. If you're in the chat or you are subsequently watching this uh, as it's memorialized, make sure that you are following the American Radicals podcast. Give us a thumbs up, smash the like button, and uh, and make sure you leave us some comments. We are, this is af after action review. Uh, I don't know the last time you were in an uh, AAR, Garrett, but uh, those kind of like hold hands and compliment each other, or are they a little bit more uh, constructive feedback? Uh, the, the better ones are constructive feedback. You know, I it mean, if, if, if you have a, a leader who, who's maybe not in the, in the, in the right position, he might, he might hold your hand through it. But, but the, the way you get better is, is, is by just speaking frankly and saying, Hey, this is, you screwed this up or you could have done this better. And just being, being straightforward about it. You, you got to have thick skin, you know, and, and you might get butt hurt uh, for a little bit, but hopefully you grow from it and learn from it which I, I, I know this is where you're headed. The FBI, they're, 
incapable and unwilling to to learn and grow in any fashion it would seem no i i don't think that you could characterize christopher ray's very delicate non-calloused hands as having the necessary rhino skin to handle any sort of criticism or feedback which is why he acts so indignant whenever he is questioned and that's why he starts doing the the body language things that i always look for where the head starts to bobble because he's super nervous or uses the verbal tics where he says full stop my favorite full stop full stop full stop steve hey steve <laughs> full stop we are not violating your constitutional rights full stop okay just i just want to make that clear I mean, I, I think it was a pretty good comparison of it's like a fortune cookie that's been folded up and you see full stop. And then once you pull the whole thing out, it says, I am full of bleep. So you should stop listening to me right now. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's really who this guy is. I mean, he's definitely he's not a leader. I mean, he, he himself has said he's got oversight of the FBI, not necessarily leadership. And it's being delved to people like Paula Bate and, and our fellow uh executive assistant directors like Jacqueline McGuire and, and all these other people that I, I think are lack the necessary prerequisite leadership skills to actually navigate the problems or yeah. actually do the work of the American people, which is, and, I'll, and I, full credit, this is something that um, was part of my conversations this week when I was getting feedback from people or answering questions. There was always Q&A and all these, these speeches. I tried to answer their questions and you get the same sort of questions at every event. I think people have a genuine interest in it. And they, uh, I was always prompted to give this answer. And I think Bill Shipley put it absolutely correct. The goal of what the DOJ and the FBI, what is the goal? The goal is the process. The win and the loss should not matter to the government. The government exists to ensure that the process is followed and you follow the constitution and you follow the law and you follow the policies and the procedures that are in place before you. And then that person has their day in court in front of a jury of their peers. And that in itself is the victory. But when you start putting your thumb on the scale, or as the case with so many of these political cases, they're putting their whole arm and body on the scale in order to get the W, you deny people their due process. And I try to find the most extreme example that I can think of. And, and here's one that I think everybody can circle around. Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby sexually assaulted multiple women for a long period of time. And he was convicted and was incarcerated. But there's a reason that Bill Cosby is walking free right now. And that's because in order to secure his conviction, the district attorney who was prosecuting that case violated Bill Cosby's due process rights. And because the government interjected itself and tried to get the W, the victim of Bill Cosby's, all his victims, will never get true justice. And that's, that's a situation where the government has to say, our bust, our blow, we messed that up, and he gets to walk. Yeah, and, and you know, this kind of touches on what we talked about last week, really, this, this leadership issue. That's what this boils down to, this Bill Cosby, FBI, we could come up with a litany of examples. It's, it's a leadership failure because, like you said, they're looking for the W, and now – multiple people got a huge L including them because they violated his due process rights. And that is a guy who should be locked under the basement of the prison and never seen from or heard from again, if not just executed for his crimes, because yeah, it, it's, it's a, some of the most atrocious 
type of behavior and criminal activity that can be done is sexually assaulting people. And he's a free man. He's a free man. He got he got to do it for decades. And he 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 walks free today because the government failed. And look, the, the government is is made of people and we are imperfect. When I was a cop, when I was an FBI agent, when I was in the army, I was never perfect at anything. And there are things I failed at. There are things I could have done better. And that's the whole point is to learn and grow so you don't um, commit some of these huge failures. I would consider this the Bill Cosby story that you, you brought up a huge, massive failure because the government, quote unquote, servants are more concerned with their career, with getting their conviction rate, and they're willing to do it at any cost. And that is the problem in a constitutional republic. You cannot have people in government who are so willing to just flippantly violate our most sacred rights. And not only are they endowed by our constitution, they're endowed by God. And you have people in government and now at high positions of government and all throughout that just simply don't care. They don't, they, they don't take the time to, if they do care, they're, you know, you, you hardly ever hear about it. You hardly ever see it because um, it's lost in the shuffle or there's examples like these where the, the failures are so atrocious that, that, that becomes the focal point, you know? I agree. I agree with you entirely. And I want to acknowledge Keely D with the Rumble Rant coming in. Uh, thank you very much. You've been so generous to us, folks. Uh, we really appreciate it. And any sort of uh, contribution that you're making, you can you can rest assured they're going to, to the right places. Uh, we're not in this as a grift. And we're just trying to share information with you. So Keely D, you were there last weekend. And then we're happy to have you back here and everybody in the chat. Again, make sure you are giving us a like, giving us a follow. Follow trying to evangelize and disciple as many people as we can out there. So try to share our message far and wide with others. And look, we're live today, um, and it gives us an ability to, to react in real time to people as, the, as they're engaging with us. But uh, these shows don't go anywhere. They, they are preserved on Rumble. Rumble is a free speech platform, so you can always go back and see. This is our third episode. I, I think as we, as we proceed on, uh, they will be a good resource, especially a show like today where we're giving some of this content. I promised people when I spoke last week that they could refer their friends to, to watch the information that we're going to share. Uh, and some of it is pretty heavy, you know, as we've gotten into, and some of it will be a little bit lighter, I think, what we'll finish up with. Uh, I do want to touch on one final uh, major topic, which has been the, uh, the, 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 my cause du jour or my cause, uh, for the last year. Uh, but before I do that, I get to do my shameless self plug self promotion here. And this is for my book, which uh, is still out. It's called true blue, my journey from beat cop to suspended FBI whistleblower. It is available on amazon.com. It's pinned to the top of my social media profiles. If you don't want to go and just do the Amazon search, um, and if you want a good, a good read, I'm the world's most okayest author, no $10 words in there. I was told, you know, five, six hours is, is all it really took. There's also an audio version, which interestingly, the, the publisher for this book, uh, asked me, Hey, do you want to read it yourself? And basically everybody wants to read their own book. It's in your own voice and it's sort of exciting premise, but they said, we're going to send you a recorder. And you're going to just read into it. You you don't get to go to a studio or anything. So do your best. And when I heard that, uh, and the alternative was actually to get a professional, 
I said, okay, let's just let the pros do it. And then the guy who read my book reached out to me on Twitter and follows me and, and said, Hey, I read your book. And, uh, and I actually mean, I actually read it. So it's pretty cool. You get to interact with the person who, who did the audio version and I think did a pretty good job. I, I was a little bit nervous that it would be somebody that would sound really whiny or maybe RFKE like I did in police state or maybe even James Earl Jonish like Darth Vader. But I think that they found somebody who was pretty appropriate. So if anybody's looking for, if you're a reader or an audiobook person, feel free to pick up a copy. If you want to give, uh, as Keely D describes him as a pansy, Chris Ray, a early Christmas gift, you could always send an extra copy to 935 Pennsylvania Avenue, Northwest Washington, DC, and see if maybe he needs to do some catch up on his reading. So <laughs> Thank you for that, and uh, and we'll we'll move on to the next topic. Um, if I if I ever if I ever write a book, I I gotta find somebody who sounds like Bane from Batman to do the read. I think that would be awesome. That'd be fantastic. He, he was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Thomas Hardy is is a talented dude. I mean, I've seen some interviews with him where he was trying to actually figure out how to read that that character, and that was by design. But I know that that's something that. It's one of the most quotable characters who's out there. Yeah, it's, it's um, awesome. I love it. So final a hard-hitting topic, and then we'll get into the really silly stuff. Uh, and that is, we, we talked about before we went on, integrated program management, the FBI quota system. <laughs> That's our favorite right there. It is. It is. And it's something, again, Christopher Ray has was asked, is there a quota system? And that's when he gets very lawyerly. He starts to parse his words, quota. I don't know what you mean by quota. Do we have a goal? And and look, this thing is about 10 years old. Uh, and it's no surprise that the number of domestic terrorist cases has quadrupled in the last 10 years. Well, because if you ask for something, you get more of it. My contention is always that it sort of turns the, the nature of law enforcement on its head because the law enforcement officials should want to bring the crime down. But when you tie a bonus structure for senior executives or even just the budget in general to the FBI to performance and meeting their quotas. The temptation is always going to be work smarter, not harder, look for opportunities to get work. And you might not have nefarious intentions. You might just want to make sure that those 38,000 people that work for the FBI are not sitting on their hands and not just DMV people that are not doing work. And you tried to structure a way to do it but it's not a widget factory. This is not sales. We can't have a quota because as a result of that, there's now structures in place where I mean, I, I was told, look, delay indicting a specific case because we already hit our numbers. So we'll wait a few months and then the new fiscal year will come around and then we'll, we'll hit the ground running in the new fiscal year, Steve, or something like multiple people need to be arrested for a case, but we can only claim a disruption stat one count one per calendar day so let's arrest one bad guy on monday and another one on tuesday and a third one on wednesday when we could just swoop in and get them all on monday and as a result of that we left these guys out theoretically for a couple of days uh to continue inflicting fraud and force on american citizens so your thoughts on ipm your experience with it um, and maybe even touch on i think there was the the wiretap story i think is pretty pretty relevant to the conversation yeah and it's you know this this topic is very frustrating for me because it's manipulation is what it is and the government should not be in the business of man manipulating the people and that is what they're doing with these numbers games and in fairness it, it happened at my pd and it, it happens probably at every police department too is they track how many tickets you write they track how many arrests you get how 
And I get, I get that to a degree, but then when they come to you and say, Hey, uh, you didn't write as many tickets as some of the other people on the shift. And, and it's like, well, that's a quota and that's illegal. And they said, no, 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 it's not a quota. We just want to make sure you're being productive. And you know, you did a lot of traffic stops, but you didn't write that many tickets. And it's like, so that's a quota. I mean, so we, we can break it down to something as simple as a traffic stop. And it's, it's a problem at that level. And it certainly is a problem when another instance for me is you, you have four domestic terrorism cases that are really just one. So now you've increased domestic terrorism 100, uh, 400% in one case, in one instance, in one small resident agency in Kansas. That's a problem. And that's a big problem. And it's a nationwide problem. And then you have the Christopher Ray types or even the Joe Biden types get up there and they say, look, domestic terrorism is such a big problem. Is it though? Because are we seeing like domestic terrorism happening in the streets? I mean, the, the, the worst domestic terrorism I can think of in recent history is the summer of love and the riots across the nation. And yeah, January 6th, not a good day, not a good look there. We've said it before. There are people who did things on that day that they should be arrested and prosecuted for. And does that mean we should hunt down every single grandma who is high, who is standing behind a velvet rope? No. And then um, my, my title three story, I was working a case. It was domestic terrorism related again. And it was looking like the case was leading towards going for a title three wiretap. So for people who don't know what title three is one of the most intrusive steps the government can do into someone's life during a criminal investigation. And that is tap their phone. And while you have a wiretap, there is a government agent listening, sitting in a room, waiting for your phone to ring. And they're going to listen to every call that gets made unless it's, um, you know, your lawyer or your pastor or your spouse. And, Supposed to be, supposed to be. And um, so I'm working on this case and we have like a, me and my co-case agent have like a meeting about it. I'm a relatively new agent. It's like in my, within my first year of being in the FBI. And my boss tells me during the meeting, she's like, you guys, I really need this title three. And I'm like, okay, like I'm working on the affidavit. I would, I mean, that's what that's what I've been doing, but I keep getting bogged down with these meetings because th this was the type of case where we would jump on a conference call almost every day, sometimes at least every other day. And it was like the AUSA, a bunch of people from headquarters, like up to a hundred people on these calls. And I always was like, who are these people? You know, like what's, I don't understand. And then as I, as I learned more, it was like, oh, that's so they could say, oh, I worked on this case. And I can write about it in my 954 to get to try to get promoted. And so that's what this turned out to be. And so when my boss said that me and my co-case agent, we leave her office and I was like, Hey, that was kind of a weird way that she said that, like what? And he just started laughing and he's like, Garrett, I know you were a cop before, but, um, cause it was a, my co-case was a TFO and he was like, but you got a lot to learn about the FBI. And I was like, Hmm, what do you mean by that? And we went and, and talked about it a little bit more. Uh, in the conference room uh, away from prying ears. And he told me all about this IPM and how she can get a bonus and she can write about it on her internal resume, the 954 and how, you know, the SAC has all the green and gold and red check marks and title threes are on there and all, all, all this stuff. And I was like, what? Like, 
that's how we do it. So it is stats-based policing. That's how this works. And oftentimes in the beginning of the year, they say, a field office will say, well, we're going to get five title threes this year. And so then they're predisposed to try to do an end around to get the title threes instead of letting the work dictate where it goes. And especially as invasive as something like a title three is like that. I mean, that's a, again, it's a scary place to be as that's what law enforcement and an intelligence agency is doing in this country. They're saying they're determining ahead of time. We got to try to get this many wiretaps on somebody or throughout the year. So the boss, the big boss, the SAC can get their bonus. Like that's, that's not, that's not being, having your allegiance to that oath that we made to the constitution. That's backwards. That's not living in a free society. That's not moving the ball forward in any reasonable way. It's, it's a, it's a weaponized government. I mean, that's the whole point, right? That's the whole point of being a suspendable is the government not only was weaponized against us, people who said these things are wrong, it's weaponized against all of you. And I guess maybe I saw, I feel like I'm a little more fired up than usual about this. And part, part of it's because I, I spoke to someone who was a, a, I thought a really good friend of mine, um, in the FBI, I hadn't heard from him since I got suspended. And I talked to him for quite a while the other day. Uh, it was after, after Carrie Pickett's, um, article came out a couple weeks ago, I sent him like a picture of it. And I, and I, you know, I, I haven't reached out to him in fairness either, but considering my circumstances, I would hope, I would have hoped that more people would have said, Hey, how are you doing? And I really thought he would have been one of them. And I sent him the the link and I said, it's as I've said all along or something like that. And he did respond and we ended up talking on the phone and he said, of course, you know, he doesn't want to hear uh, about any of my disclosures and I hope you can understand that. And he's like, I have been following you a little bit. And he was like, Garrett, really the stats stuff, that's, that's what, that's the hill you're going to die on. And I said, well, there's a lot more than, than just that, but I think that is a big problem. And I, I didn't pick the hill, you know, like I, I went to Congress as I'm legally permitted to do us five USC 7211 says that federal employees have a right that we have a right to go to Congress. So that's what I did. And for him to, and you know, it, it was fine. And he texted me on Thanksgiving and you know, who knows? I don't know, but I do wonder like in the depths of their hearts and when they get up and put that badge and gun on every day, do they really think that they're doing God's work? Like, or are they just sticking their head in the sand? I think that they are deluding themselves. I think I was describing it. We always, all the time we're talking about there's this ladder that people are trying to climb within promotion of the FBI. And it's really easy to say, oh, the problem's at the top. Well, I think it's a, a mischaracterization of the way the actual FBI structure is. It's not a ladder. It's a pyramid. And as you get higher and higher up, it's obviously a smaller and smaller circle of people who are making these, these calls around the FBI entirely. So it's actually a few bad actors. So that, that actually supports the argument. Well, we just need to eliminate a few people up top. Well, here's the nature of a pyramid. The further you get out towards the bottom, the wider it gets distributed, which is how people can sort of become isolated or compartmentalized and then justify doing something that is just a little, little thing. And they don't take a step back and look at the whole picture. And in my case in Daytona beach, there was an arrest of someone they were going to use a SWAT team to do. And he said, I will cooperate with you. And we'd had no contact with him for a year and a half. 
and they're going to send the SWAT team then. And I thought, look, that's a Waco. We might get away with it this time as they've been getting away with them, but somebody has to throw the flag on this one. And when I went and spoke with some of the executive management, the assistant special agents in charge, one of them said to me, well, your job is just going to be driving him from the arrest site to court. And you could see how then people would be like, well, I'm just, I'm just an Uber. I'm not really part of the problem. I'm a transport vehicle. And the, the way that they've been able to spread it out towards the bottom of the pyramid to that extent, people can bury their heads in the sand and not really take a step back. Because unfortunately, in, in this stunner, uh, most people in the FBI are just government workers and not really mission driven. They're not looking at the organization as a whole. They're not examining a case from start to finish and, and not interested in improving themselves as a professional. I, uh, I would keep my recordings of interviews. And I would go back if there was ever a time where I had some time and listen to my recordings, not because I was going to type up a, a report about it, but so I could critique myself and, yep. and, and and then become a better professional. It's like watching game tape of yourself if you're a football player or some other kind of athlete. Yeah, I don't think most people are doing that. And the same thing, they're not tracking on these stories in the news or, or public, public trials like with the Gretchen Whitmer case that I had some involvement with. I was part of the takedown of that case, and I thought, that day, I was like, wow, we really stopped some bad dudes. So I paid attention to it. And then as more and more information got revealed in the, in the media, it's pretty apparent the FBI was entrapping these guys. That's when the scale started to fall away from my eyes. And you just can't just be the the SWAT that's going there as the avenging angel. Right. You maybe need to do a little bit more analysis, which you, in theory, would think the premier law enforcement agency is going to do. But you also think that you're surrounded by people who share your Exactly. level of integrity yeah. and and interest yeah. so heavy stuff um, i want to I, I gotta I throw i gotta throw Go one ahead. thing in there um you said that your asac said to you you're just going to be driving him is that did i get that right yes to which i responded that's like putting someone on a train to auschwitz i was just gonna say well <laughs> I, I got i gotta bring up our trip to the holocaust memorial museum then like hey you're just gonna be driving the train yes. you know it's like that's just as I don't know. I don't know if we talked about it on here, but um, well, I, I won't get into my books, but uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a pastor in Germany and he's credited with saying um, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. So when you're just driving the train, you're just driving the car that that's just as bad. And you're going to be held to account for that, you know, just. Like, yeah, you're, maybe you're not the ordinary men, police battalion 101, executing the men, women, and children, but they didn't start there. It was slowly along the way. And then even them, they said, well, we were just following orders. You know, there's a quote in the book from, from Major Trop, who was in charge of that, that battalion. And he says, oh, if it wasn't for these orders. And it's like, no, nah, man, no, that's not good enough. Like, you can't. It is your duty to stand in the gap and say, this is wrong. And if that means you're no longer a major in uh, the SS or in the, in the reserve police battalion, if that means you're no longer an FBI agent, if that means you're no longer a cop, or it means you you're no longer a nurse because you stood up at the hospital you worked at or, or whatever, I, it doesn't matter to me where you work. We all are encountered with these things and we have to, we just have to stand for truth we, we must it's it's the only way we're going to if we can turn this around that's the only way is standing for the truth no matter what we are and i 
look, you're you're the uh, you're the scripture king here. But I said before, I I've used this in my talks. Book of Esther. You were born for such a time as this. That's something that I think most people are familiar with. Uh, I think that you and Kyle and me and, and others that are members of the Suspendables were, I guess, nominated for for a reason. We and we we came forward, and it was all sort of around the same time for a reason. And it's also the reason that we've been able to launch this and connect with an audience that is digesting this material because you are digesting it for a reason. Maybe you're going to be out there in a position to activate in your local community or to encourage somebody else and spread it as far and wide as we can. And then that's why we have, man, like we, we, we're a small fledgling podcast. We're only a couple episodes in, but we've got some awesome people here and we've got some rumble rants come in, whatever. Oh, seven. Uh, we're not, we're, we're not dead, I guess, according to, to whatever 07. No, no, we're still alive and kicking according to him <laughs> and, uh, and Chad Zodi, uh, you guys are, are so generous. Thank you very much. I want to make yeah, sure that we acknowledge that. Um, and this is the advantage to being in a, in a live, in a live stream. So this, there's some heavy stuff here. Um, I finished my talks up and as a way, I kind of want to transition to that. Some of, some of the lighter stuff where you just got to shake your head, uh, and the first thing that I want to point out is our friend, your friend and mine, Jenny Moore, Jennifer Moore, <laughs> as the executive assistant director of human resources. And then she resigned when she faced any sort of scrutiny. Her parting gift, if you remember, was the paid mental wellness hours oh, to all yes, FBI employees, yes. which I mean, look, I'm a numbers guy, three paid hours a week. Combine that with the three paid hours a week for physical fitness. FBI traditionally stood for Fat Boys Incorporated, but then they, <laughs> then James Comey was not happy with that. So he said, you got to pass a physical fitness test, which you still don't need to pass. I think it's still just a little mark on you to bring your score down for your annual evaluation. You can be kind of a hot mess and still be sufficient as an FBI agent. But you combine three mental wellness, three physical fitness, taking lunch. Nobody's really working those extra 10 hours that they claim to pay you for. So 40 hours a week, not 50. Uh, and that is 27.5% of your time not doing your job and being paid for it. Thank you very much, Jennifer Moore, for the paid mental wellness. And also thank you to her for the coloring breaks and the painting lessons and the yoga lessons and the group walks that were going on at the human resources branch of the FBI which is arguably the most important branch when you consider the fact that personnel is policy. They're able to cultivate and craft the type of people that they're bringing in. And that is going on there. And, and underneath that is a security office. So I've always said since that information emerged, what's stopping a congressional inquiry from saying, hey, look, if the FBI is doing painting lessons, maybe we need to push pause on that particular area of the FBI so we can do a full assessment. And if that were to happen, then the security division is paused, which means that they can't assess security clearances, which would mean, if you, can you work in the FBI without a security clearance, F. Garrett? Uh, I don't know. Let's let me let me get back to you on that, Steve. <laughs> no, I mean, of course, this is this is why they do what they do. They suspend your clearance because, well, then you can't work here. Bye. And hey, you're still an employee, but you just can't come to work. And since you can't come to work, we're not going to pay you. And yeah, good luck, good luck uh, trying to fight that one. But um, another another thing with with our friend Jennifer Moore that we found out recently, it was this time of year. Uh, I don't know what year. Maybe it was maybe it's still maybe it's a running thing that she helped uh, be a part of. But she participated in um, when she was in ASAC, I believe, if I'm getting it right. 
judging gingerbread houses that FBI employees were making. Like, okay, FBI. Let's the time <laughs> company to, time. Company yeah, time. Time to disband the FBI and salt the earth. Like, I'm no fan of Hoover, but gingerbread houses, like, no, nah, we need to turn the page back. If if the FBI is going to exist at all, like we gotta we gotta clean house and and get back to its rooted mission of law enforcement. And, you know, I, like I said about abortion, I'm, a, I'm pretty sure I'm an abolitionist when it comes to the FBI these days too. I know you are. <laughs> oh, I am. I'm there. I'm all in. I think we need to break into a thousand pieces, get her to the wind. Um, and it's, I look, there's, there's nothing that can be done once you are deciding to change all the tires off the bureau vehicles to soy. So no, soy. no more rubber. I guess we're going to go to soy boy entirely, which mm -hmm. was something that our friend over at just the news, uh, John Solomon uh, reported on, I think it was actually Addison Smith. He works there. And, and that was, the, and that's a no bid contract. There's only one manufacturer in the country that does that. Hmm. And the FBI is transitioning all of its vehicles over to soy based tires. And then I guess the hope is by 2030 to be an entirely electric fleet, which will be interesting when they have a bear cat. Yeah, that they have to pull the engine out of and put an electric engine into it. And then, look, you went on SWAT hits just like I did. That mm -hmm. caravan that goes across the state, you know, it's yep. like a six hour drive or something yep. like that. It could be 20 cars in the conga line. That's a week and a half when you yeah. factor in all the, the charging stations everybody has to do. So now a three day operation where, you know, we drive there and we hit, hit the next day. So actually it could be even two becomes a week or two. And then how to people like, well, I was out working on an Indian reservation. I was putting 3000 miles on the car or the truck every single month yeah. and in austere conditions when it's very cold, it's not going to hold a charge. I believe their actually solution to that is to assign two vehicles to the agents now. So oh. you're going to have a quarter million yeah. dollars yeah. of merchandise. In Just spend driver. more money. Just spend more money. <laughs> hey, I, I was thinking about the conga line that you mentioned. I wonder if you were there or if you were in Florida. I don't. I forget the year. It was a couple of years ago. We ended up helping in Omaha in Dubuque, Iowa, and it was like a gang takedown. I think. Do, do you know if you were on that one? Uh, Might have been. We mostly did gangs over in East Iowa, so could have been. I could have been on it. Yeah, it was kind of cool though, because like uh, that's there's like a tri-state corner of Iowa, Illinois, and Wisconsin. So. I, uh, I crossed over into Wisconsin and uh, bought some spotted cow, which is beer that is only sold here. And I took it back to Kansas. <laughs> I mean, that's the most important thing you do with that per diem, right? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> you give you the, you hit that per diem and these guys, man, they drink it away in the yeah. first day. Yeah. I mean, I look, we, we would go clean guns and uh, did you ever see those tanks that have like the microorganisms that you could dump your Oh, yeah, rifle yeah, into yeah. and it would yep. you would eat the carbon off of it and you wouldn't uh -huh. have to clean your rifle yeah i think those were going at the time before the the let's go brand and economy they were going for like 15 1600 bucks and i remember thinking like guys we could pool our per diem yeah buy one. one operation and get this tank <laughs> and never clean rifles yeah and they were like now nah, but we we want to drink beer yeah yeah we want to <laughs> we want to eat out and drink beer <laughs> <laughs> oh all right it's ridiculous there's there's a few more here we definitely want to hit up before we, we wrap it up uh, there was happiness seminars that were sponsored by an employee resource group called We Are One, where they talked about using good words and good deeds and the effects of smiling. They had the, and this will probably hit close to you, the the monkeypox czar getting honored at oh, a gay pride event yep, with Christopher Ray. 
He's a he's a avowed Satanist. Dimitri Daskalakis mm-hmm. is his name. Yep. And he was he's got given a big a... pentagram tattoo uh, on his chest. And yeah, that that one. It's like, you know, they always say how tolerant they are, and you know, inclusive of everybody. Um, when's the last time you saw Christopher Ray stand up to, to a, or stand up with, and participate in some type of symposium like that with a Christian, a, a loud, out and proud Christian who's very firm and bold in their faith? No, you're not going to see that. You're going to see them hunting Catholics. But yes, was- or getting temporary duty agents over to the security office to investigate who they believe fits the profile of someone lacking loyalty to the country specifically those involved in religious worship on a regular basis or people with lots of kids. So I guess back to being uh, the profile of a radical traditional Catholic, which side note, I, this is, this is me just speculating on this. Uh, I believe that that intelligence analyst made a major mental boo-boo. I made several of them, but I think that they were looking for an organization that already existed that they could then pin radicalism or anti-government extremism on. And they thought, all right, let's take a step back let's let's identify problematic ideas so pro-life pro-traditional marriage um oh i know and he lived in richmond so he thought catholics because mm. they're all named o'boyle and o'shaughnessy <laughs> yeah, and they have right. red hair and he forgot that there's a whole bunch of hispanics right who are catholic and yep. if he had been working in el paso maybe that they would have been a different target group so um it went from the serious to the ridiculous to the extreme. Um, I, I do want to touch one more thing, uh, acknowledging as an after-action review. I had a chance this week to meet some really cool people, and uh, I, I want to let you guys know that that is only the result of the fact that we've been able to get some support and get the profile that we have, uh, the platform that we have. Um, I got to meet the QAnon shaman, which is a, a misnomer, uh, Jacob Chansley. He came to the event, was a really good guy, was awesome with me. He said uh, he, he came to just hear me speak, and that was it. I mean, there was no him trying to get in the spotlight. You know, we took a photo together, and uh, he actually reached out and said he wants to cross-promote the, the information that we went over today so, to share oh, with cool. the other people that follow with him. So there might be some sort of, like, Twitter space with GOB Actual, Real Steve Friend, and the QAnon yeah. Shaman in the near future oh, looking over cool. the horizon. Um, I met Mark Lamb, who's running for Senate in Arizona. He's a, he's a sheriff out there. I met a couple other sheriffs too as well. And then I got a chance to meet some uh, Oath Keepers who, uh, w- one gentleman, he, he was great. He said uh, he was a Vietnam uh, vet. Had, he said, look, I learned how to kill communists back in the 1960s and I haven't forgotten how. Uh, he had burns over 75% of his body. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, but just was uh, everybody there. They were, they were, they were awesome. Uh, and then they gave me, uh, they gave me I think, one of the coolest gifts I've ever gotten um, and probably better than the plaque that we gave Dimitri Deskalakis from the FBI. I'm, so I'm certain. <laughs> I, I, yeah, you've seen the picture of it and I want to make sure that I do do it justice and figure out maybe a way that I can put it um, on the wall behind me. Yeah. Um, but so ch- folks are tracking on this. This was the gift that I got from <laughs> the Oath Keepers. And uh, just so if, if you have trouble reading it with the light refracting, it says cajones grandes. You can use your imagination of what that image is on the plaque. Uh, and uh, like I said, I will try to find a way to put it on my wall so that uh, anybody can watch. It might not get me and do me any favors uh, for getting on cable news, but 
then again, I'm not really made for cable news. I'm more long formal with you on this one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. We're, we're, we're all rumble now these days. Um, yeah. Another, another rumble rant popped up from our friend tack penis Galatians one 15, but when God who had set me apart, even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace was pleased tack penis. Thank you for, for dropping that. We always appreciate hearing from God's word. Um, but Steve, that, uh, that plaque is awesome. I wish I would have gone to Arizona because I could put it on the wall right behind me under some of the other stuff I had. Oh made. man. Yeah. My, my boys, when I got home last night, they were like, what is that? And they were running around trying to figure out where they could put it. They were, they, they, I think they settled on, they wanted to put it next to my wedding picture. Yes. Like, mom, mom might not like that. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, that's like, you know, I have four girls, but maybe, maybe we'll have to keep trying to get a, to get a boy who I can, who I can have you know, funny crass humor like that with like, yeah, oh. put it next to your wedding picture, dad. It's the best. It's the best. I mean, look, those guys, I said, I was telling people about them. Uh, I'm kind of in that nice, happy medium ground now where I don't have to wipe their butts anymore and they don't <laughs> resent me. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm going to take and soak in as much as I can for the next few years before yeah. they have the awkwardest. Uh, right. Where they're like, uh, dad's actually not cool. So we're not going to talk to him for like five years while we're teenagers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so this was sort of an after-action, a summary. Uh, this was this was not entire list. We, we've been able to expose a whole bunch more. Uh, we didn't even touch on the the Quiet Skies program that I know uh, Sonia Labosco has been hammering on. Um, and then, like I'm telling you, with the with this sweatshop store, folks, that quad S's, the Quiet Squat Skies. How about four suspendables S's on the uh, Ranger panties and uh, thought <laughs> skies out, thighs out. Those would be the quad. S's. Maybe we could do something like that for Christmas. <laughs> um, but then also want to finish up with, we look behind us, we want to look ahead. Uh, so what people can expect from us, we are looking to go to multiple days a week. And we think more of it would be better for people. We have a lot to say, obviously we're having a hard time even getting in in the hour. Our goal was we, we've already gone over that by a few minutes. And I think, Sorry. <laughs> yeah, but uh, maybe a Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday structure is something that we're noodling around, but we would really appreciate it while you're clicking like and follow on the rumble channel, leave us a comment, what you think would be a good time. Um, I had noodled around uh, eight 30 Eastern AM because Tracy beans, friend of yours, friend of mine, friend of ours does not have her dark to light podcast at that time. So maybe we could fill that gap. If, if people are interested in having like an hour long program as lead into to Kyle's to Kyle's show, uh, but again, we're really flexible at this point. We want, we aim to please as many people as we can. We are also working on the audio podcast. I know that that is a huge get. That's how I consume my, my podcasts. Yep. And then two sponsors are coming aboard in the very near future. I've never seen advertising for either product. So it could be interesting for the Christmas holidays. If you want to get something that's going to be uh, unusual, not just the pocket catheter, or sit in a standing tub or reverse mortgage that you see on so many shows. <laughs> Final thoughts here, Garrett, before we send everybody off uh, to enjoy the weekend. Uh, yeah, I do actually have a final thought. I'm headed to North Dakota um, next week for a little speaking engagement that I was invited to. I'm really looking forward to that. And one of our, our chatters, I see, I see them. I won't out them unless I see them say, go ahead and, and say, but uh they messaged me on Twitter. We've been back and forth. They bought stuff on the store. And then they said, hey, I think last week after we we ran that promo, um, they messaged me and said, hey, I'm 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 coming to North Dakota to see you, which is is very cool. You know, like 
like I said, when we started, I never wanted any of this, you know, like even still, like I probably, if given the option, I would have just stayed as an FBI agent. It was a good salary. It was a good job. Um, but the corruption needs to be exposed because that's what people like Steve and me and Kyle, that's why we entered government service. We actually meant what we said, uh, but here we are on a new path. Um, I, as you all know, it's a divine path. I, tr I, I truly believe that. And I'm certain of that from, from God's word, but um, it's, it's interesting and cool to, to start to kind of like get to know some of, some of you all out there. And, and uh, for the one I'm thinking of who's, who's coming out um, there, she, they mentioned it. It's, it's teased Zibit in the, in the, uh, in the chat. She's, she's always in Kyle's chat too, but uh, she's heading out and it's, it's, I don't know. It's just, it's cool. You know, like uh, with Thanksgiving just passing um, I've been kind of reflective and, just comparing where I was last year to this year and where my family was and how everything was so fresh. And it's, it's been, it's been a, a struggle for sure. Uh, and I'm sure there will be days and it will continue to be a struggle in a lot of ways, but, but we're forging ahead, man. I, I know you are. And, and this, this new path we're on, it's, it's weird. It's interesting. Um, but it, there are times of hope, you know, like your trip to Arizona, I saw tons of orders coming in this week from people in Arizona. And I thought Steve must be hawking it out there. And, and <laughs> I was, I was, yeah. there was a lot of appetite there to, to, to join uh, and, and be supporters of the suspendables. So we're trying to reach as many people as we can. So this yeah. has been a great ride and, to be on. And then even, you know, there was that one person who, who said, I want to Venmo him. And most of you probably know the story from when we went to Florida for the police state premiere somebody I met on the plane recognized me. And, and when we got off the plane, they said, I want to just Venmo you some money for, for Christmas and for your, for, for your girls. And that's what this person in Arizona did. These, you know, I never even met them and they said, no, I, I want to help. And it's, um, you know, I, I think of this verse, it's Ezekiel 22 30. I, I don't know if I know the whole thing, but it basically says God was looking for someone to stand in the breach and I found none. And then the judgment came. And thankfully, we're not we're not there yet. There's a lot of people out there supporting, helping, going to events, going to see you speak, listening to our podcast, buying the book, buying the merch. There's a lot of people standing in the in the breach, prepared to stand in the breach, and um, hopefully being uplifted and encouraged um, by by listening and watching us and helping spread the message. You know where like. We're not going to stop, you know, They're like, yeah, the FBI may show up at our at our house at 6 a.m. one day and kick in the door, but they haven't yet. And we're, we, we aren't going to stop, you know, we are not, man. The American Radicals podcast, we, we burn the ships. We're putting them to a decision for all their chips on every hand. We're all in because nobody else has done that. People like the FBI, organizations like that. They're not very good at poker. They just have the biggest stack at the table and they've deluded themselves for a really long time that they're good at cards. And they keep proving themselves that they're not, as we've reviewed today. So I want to thank everybody. Make sure that you are following us on social media. Garrett's at G-O-B Actual. Mine is at Real Steve Friend. And the podcast itself is at AmRadPod. I hope everybody has a fantastic weekend. And we will hope to see you maybe sooner than, uh, than Saturday. Maybe not. Again, leave us a comment to let us know. Uh, God bless you all. And, uh, and have a fantastic weekend. You've been listening to the voice of the Suspendables on the American Radicals podcast. 
follow us on rumble.com slash amradpod.